Take your Bibles this morning. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. What a, what a powerful testimony, right guys? When God does something in your life, uh, yeah, you can clap for that. That's good stuff. And when the Lord begins to work through you, he works in you, right? And so I encourage you all to be submissive to where he leads and uh, whatever that may be. Hopefully, you know, more, most importantly, guys, I want you to know this, is that missions is about going next door. You know what I'm talking about? If you are a Christian, I want to say this to you, you are a missionary. You don't have to wait to be called to Zambia or the Dominican Republic or anywhere else in the world. You're called. The Bible says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Nations mean cultures. Nations mean people, people groups. And there are people groups even in our own community, not necessarily that speak different languages, but people groups who think differently, do different things, and, and we see that. It's very evident, agreed? And so as you go, I encourage you to take the gospel with you. Now, let's take let's, what we're doing throughout the course of this teaching series, we're in part three, is we're dealing with this idea of how to fight through spiritual warfare, all right? All of us struggle with this. This is something that's real. This is something that we don't want to hide from. We don't want to think too much about either, but we need to acknowledge that it's there and learn how to fight it. We started out a few weeks ago detailing who the enemy is. Who are we fighting? C.S. Lewis had a wonderful quote on this, and basically to summarize it, he says there are two big mistakes that people make as it pertains to Satan and demons. One, ignoring him completely and believing that he's not there, or two, focusing too much attention on them. Make sense? And those are the two extremes. And our efforts through this teaching series is coming to a middle ground so that when we are personally attacked, and you will be, how do you fight back? And so the first two messages, number one, we dealt with identifying the enemy who is Satan. A couple of things we learned here. Y'all ready for this? Remember this. This is important. I'm going to rehash it again next week. Satan does not know the future. He can't read your mind, and he can't be everywhere at one time. He only can be one place at a time. Isn't that good news? Sometimes we buy into this whole reality that if I think it, he's going to hear it, or if I go somewhere, he's going to be here. Listen, listen, hear me on this. When you come and say, man, Satan's really attacking me this morning, hey, the reality is you must be somebody. Because the thing is, he's only one place at a time. He's not God. We have this picture of evil and good God and Satan as a yin and yang idea. And they're fighting each other, and hopefully will God win. It's not that at all. God always wins. There's no yin and yang here. Make sense? Second thing we learned about him was that he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take away your joy. He wants to thwart God's plan and make us miserable. That happens a lot, agreed? He has a strategy we dealt with that way last week, and we'll get to that in a moment. The other thing we understand about Satan is that he is a dog on a leash. Now, you think about a vicious dog biting and want, barking and wanting to bite you. He's ferocious. But understand this, God's got him on a leash. He can't hurt you unless you let him or he's allowed. Make sense? Fourth thing we learned about him. Understand this. His greatest weapon has been taken away. And that, this is the weapon is to speak into your heart that you are unforgivable. Now, some of us know we've done some bad things. Would y'all agree on that? We've got some, man, if people can look into our closet for the skeletons, they find the entire morgue. Agreed? But here's the deal. Satan can't use unforgiveness against you. Why? Because Jesus took care of that on the cross. Through Jesus' death, he killed Satan and his activity. 
And that, it's interesting. God has always used Satan against Satan. Give you an example here. Judas, it said Satan entered into his heart. He betrayed Jesus. Jesus died. Looks like Satan won, right? Christ died, rose from the dead. Satan loses. He uses Satan against Satan every time. Isn't that cool? Now, we also have to understand this. We dealt with this last week. He has strategies. He's a master strategist and statistician. He understands, and as a student of humanity, he understands the Bible. And we learn comparing Genesis chapter 3, the original temptation, to Jesus being tempted in the desert. The temptations are the same. It's the temptation or the strategy of us acting on our own impulse and physical desire. What we called it was the strategy or, or, or the uh, impulse of appetite. Y'all remember that? If I'm hungry, if I want it, if I need it, if I think I've got to have it, I'll go get it. The second strategy that he uses is recognition and acceptance. Do what's expected of you. We all want people to like us, right? And sometimes we conform not to the image of God, <coughs> but to the image of the world. Y'all been there? Third strategy is glory. Remember what he told Adam and Eve. You will be like God. And that's our desire, is it not? is to feel completely in control in the center of the universe. Now, this morning, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 10 through 20. Our launching point every week has been verse 10 through 12. Let's go to chapter 6 and go to verse 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, let's get this. Remind yourself of this. Your strength does not come from your own conjuring, all right? It comes from Christ his mighty power and he's not saying be strong in your belief be strong in your effort be strong in your church attendance be, he's saying be strong in your relationship with the lord these play into that relationship but it begins and ends always with jesus that's why the bible calls him the alpha and what church omega now keep reading it says put on the full armor of god why so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes so in this, now get to verse 12, and then we'll come back. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Understand what's happening here. The war in Ukraine is not about Russian aggression. It's about sinfulness. You understand that? At its core, that's what it's about. Those is what we come back to in verse 12 against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces. It's not about what you wrestle against and what you see. It's what you don't see that's important for us to understand through this, right? So, getting all this, in these first, two, in these first three verses of Ephesians chapter 6, we see two important things here. One, we see our enemy, and two, we know he has a strategy. That's what we've dealt with for the last two weeks. Now we're going to get to what I like to call the meat and taters of this teaching series, Okay? The meat and taters are this. We're going to learn how to fight back. Y'all with me? That's what we're going to In order to fight back, we've got to know who we're fighting, and we've got to know how they're fighting, right? To this morning, we get to fight back. Are y'all excited about that? All right. So let's, let's, let's throw some punches. Y'all with me? So several, several years ago, and y'all know this is an old feed store, right? 
Some of y'all who are new to River Hills that have no idea. And so with the old feast, you are si- if you're over here in this section, the first time I walked in this feast store, that was the horse feed. So everybody neigh like a horse. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Now, over here, it was like, I'm going to call all these goats. And I have no idea. But there was feed everywhere, stacked to the roof in some places. Now, one thing that happens in a feed store is mice like to come in. There's a couple of barn cats that stayed in this place. And since I'm allergic to cats and cats are of the devil, we got rid of them. And so we renovated this place. Anybody with me on that? So we renovated this place, um, except for my buddy's cat over there who has no hair. All right, so here's the thing. Those aren't really cats. Those are mutants. So then that being said, that being said, we have all these things going on, and we're sitting in the middle of a staff meeting. This is early on in being in this building. And we're, we're in one of the areas in the back of the place. We had a round table. We had interns. We had staff. We're sitting there. And we're going through the rigors of what it means to be at church and how we're to be the church. And we're developing leaders. And we're thinking through strategy. And we're walking through timelines. And we're drinking coffee. It was a great morning. Y'all with me? And all of a sudden, from underneath one of the chairs, the beast appeared. A little mouse. We've had that happen in church before. Several years ago, a lady was sitting on the front row, and she was eight months pregnant, and she screamed. I thought she was in labor or got the spirit, one or the other. It was a mouse. Then she had the baby. And that fact, you know, you get what I'm saying on this. The mouse ran out, and the reaction of the eight people sitting at this table was unbelievable. One who was a grown man in his 20s jumped up on this table and went, ah, it was awesome. We never let him live it down. Other people just froze. You know what I'm talking about? You're paralyzed with fear. There's a mouse. Don't move because if you don't move, it won't see you and eat you. You know what I'm getting at? Other people just ran, they darted out of the room. So you got to, and then, and then my favorite group, so understand the three groups. One, the dude was screaming on top of a chair. Y'all with me on that? Kind of like Daryl. The second one was this. They were, uh, they were just paralyzed with fear. The third one ran out of the room. So you see the three groups, and there was a fourth group. They picked up wiffle ball bats and chased the beasts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're talking about bravery, courage, modern day knights, right? All that being said, is that's how we respond to Satan's scheme sometimes. We jump up and scream, we ignore it completely, we run away, or we choose to fight back, right? And which one are you going to be? This morning we're going to talk about fighting. This morning we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of this. I want you to understand in this passage of Scripture, jumping right in, Finally, be strong in the Lord, in verse 2, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice that little phrase there, take your stand. Remember that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if the day of evil comes, it says what? When the day of evil comes, you you may be able to what? stand your ground then it says and after you have everything have done everything to stand then it says stand firm then now that's four times he's used the phrase stand y'all see that so we need to pay attention right how do you stand firm how do you fight back and then he goes into this Verse 14, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. So he gives us the he gives us the formula here, folks. He shows us the armor. Now I want you to keep in mind, skip down to verse 20. Paul is writing this, and he says, For which I'm an ambassador in chains. You got to understand, as he's writing this, he is literally shackled to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Not only that, as someone who's pursued because of his faith, he had intimate knowledge of what Roman soldiers could do and what they looked like. They were the conquerors of the ancient world at that time. But there's two things. Let's go back. Understand, verse 13, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Now, there's two things you need to get. Number one, this is God's armor, not yours. You get that? These are things that you can't just figure out. These are things that you're just not going to go in your spiritual workshop and this is it. God has given you this armor. It's a gift, and it's your choice whether you're going to wear it or not. You with me? God's armor, his gift. So let's identify some of this. Now, remembering that he knows Paul, he knows what a Roman soldier looks like. He's seeing one as he's writing it. Can y'all think through that for a moment? And he goes, oh, man, God inspired him. He gave him this word. He wrote it down. He gives it to the church of Ephesus. It circles around the ancient world. Now, this is not outside of the scope of a good Jew. So if a Jewish person's reading this, he's going to think, oh, Paul, you're talking about put on the full armor of God. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Isaiah 59, verse 17 comes to mind. And Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he writes these words Isaiah chapter 59. I'm going to try to flip there really fast. There it is. He put on the he says he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation of his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in his cloak. And basically what he's talking about here is Jesus. This is not unfamiliar to these people. This is not just the imagery that Paul has created there in that Roman cell shackled to a soldier. This finds its root in Jewish culture. There's so much in the Old Testament that speak to Jesus. In fact, starting in two weeks, we're going to talk through finding Jesus in the Jewish feast. But for this morning, let's put on the full armor. Are you with me? Now, I was trying to think back, have I ever preached on this passage? I've been taught this passage. I grew up going to Sunday school nine months before I was born, and they did it every year. You get what I'm saying on this? And I'm just really trying to think, have I ever taught? I don't think I have, so I'm really excited, even as I was studying this past week as we deal with it. So, Let's begin to, we're, gonna, we're just going to detail it. We're just going to pull it out one at a time. You with me? Number one, let's go. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Here's what that is. It's the belt, point one, and truth holds it together. You got to get that. The first thing you put on as you're putting on your armor is the belt. Now, when they use that word truth, they're talking about the gospel. There's a lot of different philosophies and cultures and thoughts, compromises made, things being said. But when Paul is speaking about the belt of truth, he's saying, you put on the gospel first. And you see it as a belt. Now, I want you to remember something here. Is that in that day and age, soldiers were, and everybody else, wore robes. And so when you went to battle, if your robe was not tucked in well, you were going to trip and fall. So that belt was important. Agreed? And what the belt did is it gave a person freedom to fight. 
And what the truth does for us, it gives us freedom from sin, freedom to experience Christ, freedom to go to heaven, and freedom to fight. Y'all with me? That's what the gospel does. Some of us, we have this tainted view of the gospel. I hear this all the time, is if I can just get my life right, then I'll get to heaven, or then God will love you. No, 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 no. The gospel says, I'm going to free you to fight in all of your mess-ups, in all of your issues, even in your background. The belt of truth holds it together. It even holds your sword in place, holds the breastplate of righteousness, all that stuff. So understand, and this is the question we have to ask, do you have the belt of truth? Do you know Jesus? That's where it begins, guys. When I got married, I didn't know this. Obviously, uh, as you look at my wardrobe every week, you know that I'm a fashion guru, right? So how many of you guys out there, if your wife did not dress you you would wear like a sweatshirt and a t-shirt and shorts every day of the year that way because if you wear the sweatshirt you just take it off or a good pair of jeans any y'all like that maybe some boots if my wife did not dress me y'all it would be awful you know and what I learned when we first got married uh, is that your ladies y'all help me with this your belt should match your what okay I didn't know that all right so here I am, wait, I'm wearing one of these alligator belts, you know what I'm talking about, with like, you know, kicks. That's it, man. That's what you're supposed to wear. So Sarah Beth taught me, said, look, you got to have your, I'm not going to show you what my belt looks like. There's a reason. And so <laughs> they got to match, especially, especially, especially in formal settings, right? You're wearing a suit, you better match, boy. So a couple of months ago, I did a, I did a funeral, and I got there, and I realized my shoes and my belt don't match. I felt naked. You know, it's just terrible. It's not a good place to be. Y'all with me? I didn't think, I was confused. I, I mean, it's stupid, guys. It's just been ingrained in my brain for the last 22 years. Here's the point. For many, you don't have freedom when you don't have the belt of truth on. And for many people, the belt that you wear that tries to hold every, that you try to hold everything together with doesn't match the message that Jesus gave. You hear me on that? I'm going to say that again. The belt that you're wearing does not match the message Jesus gave. So is the gospel the thing you turn to? Is the gospel the thing you believe in? So if you're going to fight back, you've got to have that first. Then he goes on to say this. And, and the question you ask yourself is, does your belt match? But then he goes on to say this. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, this was armor that you wore around your vital organs. You put it on the front and you put it on the back. And you've seen some of these guys, maybe in a movie or so, where it was knit together, like woven together strands of metal or maybe a full bronze suit that they wore. It was your suit of armor and you had to wear that because every now and then, you're going to miss and your enemy's going to hit, but it's going to miss a vital organ. You with me on that? And so when they use that term righteousness, notice what happens here. Go back to the text in verse 14. It says the breastplate of righteousness. There's two things you look at here. The first one is your righteousness that you have in the Lord. Here's what's beautiful about the gospel is that when you come to know Christ, Jesus sees you as righteous. Isn't that good? He doesn't look at you and see you for your past sins and your current sins. Romans 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that, don't you? 
So matter what you've done wrong, where you've been, Christ sees you as righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, notice what that says there. Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you stand. If you know Jesus, that's your permanent location. That's the GPS marker of your soul forever, is righteous. But there's another aspect of that that's called righteous living. You with me on this? It's doing the right thing. That doesn't save you. You do the right thing because you know Christ. You, get me? you see the difference there? So many times we get the cart before the horse. And what we mean by that is I do right things to get God to love me. No, no, you do right things because God loves you. You get that? And the thing is, when we put on this suit of armor, understand this, that righteousness that he talks about is right living. It's the effort to do the right thing. Because what happens here when we have a loose spot in our armor? Well, where's the enemy going to aim at? That, right? The Bible says, don't give the enemy a foothold. And the thing is, with our choices and our behavior, we give him that foothold at times, right? So here's the question. We go from the gospel of truth that holds it all together, and then we move to righteous living that the Christian is called to live out. Because when you're making poor choices and making bad decisions, the armor develops kinks in it, doesn't it? So here's the question. Where are the kinks in your armor? I mean, we all got them, right? Y'all got them. Do I have them? Yes. <laughs> Where are the kinks? We've got to work on them and mend them back together. And knowing even, even, even when they're, they're kinked up, Christ still has that first righteousness. You're his. Second thing, notice what happens. Third thing, I'm sorry. Notice what happens. He says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace now when these roman soldiers went into battle they would wear sandals strapped up all the way to their shins and on the bottom of these sandals they would have put hobnails facing downward kind of like modern day cleats does that make sense because they didn't have tread on their shoes like we have today when they go went into battle they were many times wearing slick shoes that's why a lot of them went barefooted but they would put these hobnails in the bottom of their shoes, not only to fight back, but most importantly, to stand firm. You with me? They didn't want to slip and fall. So the shoes, go back to what it says here. With the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we just read it. The peace that we have from knowing God through Lord Jesus Christ means we have a firm foundation. And what we have to be mindful of, and this is the question that we ask ourselves, and this is, this is important, is that are you grounded in the gospel? You, you follow me on this, right? Where is your foundation? No, we, we put on the belt of truth. Yeah, we believe it. It holds everything together. That's our life. But this peace of knowing that you are a child of God, is it keeping you grounded you feel me on this? Is that where you're standing? So many times believers slip because they're just grounded on the wrong things. Y'all been there? Next thing. 
Notice what happens. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We talked a little bit about this week, or a little bit about this last week. But the shields were made with two pieces of what we would call plywood, nailed together, and then knitted together with iron, and then covered with leather. You feel me on that? You understand what I'm getting at here? And then they would soak them in water so that this shield that was about this tall, they could completely hide behind. And when the flaming arrows came at them, it would hit the shield and not go through and at the same time quench the arrows. Sounds pretty cool, right? And the shield that they're talking about here, go back to what it says. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. He's saying this, you stand behind his promises. You stand behind his promises. And so many times... The reason the arrows get to us is because we're not standing behind promises. We're standing behind cultural values. You with me? You been there? It's important to understand this, guys. Wonder why we're attacked is because we got the wrong shield. So here's the question. Are we standing behind him or something else? Are we standing behind him or are we standing behind something else? Five. Notice what happens here. Take the helmet of salvation and understand what that means here. These helmets were made of iron or bronze. They would cover the head, and the only thing that could get through and penetrate the helmet was an axe. But here's what's interesting these helmets were decorated so that you knew who was on your team. Let me give you an, give, let me give you an example. Yesterday, I'm watching uh, University of Alabama play at the University of Arkansas. They have the same colors. I didn't know if they were home or away. And it wasn't until they went on a close-up to see what the helmets looked like because they had two distinct helmets on that I knew who was who. Y'all been there before? Not only did it protect their head, it identified who they were. And here's what the thing is about this helmet. The helmet is the hope and certainty of salvation. Is it no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you do wrong after you become a Christian, the hope and the certainty of salvation is that you haven't been identified by Christ as a child. And he is holding you and protecting you in that. You can't lose it. Isn't that good? Do you have that hope on? And here's the question you ask yourself is where is my security in this? And so many times we put our security in a platform or a figure or what we do or what we think or grandma's wisdom. It has to be in Jesus. Six. Notice what happens here. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword, the sword that you've been given, the thing that you fight back. You have this armor, you have this helmet, protects you, your certainty of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart, the belt of truth which holds all together, the shoes that give you a firm foundation, but you got a sword to swing. And these swords here in this, in this text, it means a double-edged short sword. And one side of it was to fight Satan, and the other side of it was to express the gospel. So here's what you need to understand here. This sword was for a temptation that we face in the evangelism that we give. It's a double-edged sword, guys. One to fight off the attacks of the enemy with the Bible, and one to set people free with the gospel. Isn't that cool? So here's my question. How sharp is your sword it only gets sharp when you're in the word so we talk about all these things the helmet, the breastplate of righteousness the shoes, all this stuff here's my problem 
and it's probably yours too. How do you put it on? Y'all with me on that? How do you put it on? I remember when I was in middle school, I decided to go out for the football team. We walked into the equipment room, and the coach said, get your equipment. I had no idea how to put all that stuff on. And for many people who are believers, they have no idea how to put on the armor of God. Y'all with me on that? I'm giving you a lot of information. Now, what do you, how do you put it on? Interesting. We never, we never read past this passage in the verse 19 through, or verse uh, 18 through 20. And notice what happens here. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, and whenever I speak, words may be given to me, given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He gives us four ways to put it on. Y'all ready for this? Here's your application. First way is this. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. Go back to verse 18. Notice what he says here, and pray in the Spirit. That means to pray in saying, I'm going to be submissive to what God wants me to do and listen to what he says. Y'all with me? How submissive are you in prayer? Are you praying, God, make this happen, or so God do your will? That's a big difference, is it not? Two, be alert. Notice what's going on. Notice what's going on. Listen, if you've got a broken leg, you're going to be more apt to look for the potholes, right? Agreed? Be alert. What are the things coming your way? And then it goes on to say, be involved. He's saying, hey, pray for missions. Pray for me as I express the gospel. Be the body of Christ. Listen to me. You can't fight well if you're on your own. The reason the Romans were such good soldiers is because they worked together. When they invaded England, they fought the Celtics. The Celtics, one by one, were better soldiers. If you put a Roman soldier and a Celt warrior together, the Celt would always win. Same thing with a lion and a tiger. You put a lion and a tiger together, the tiger's going to always win. But you put 10 lions and 10 tigers or 10 Celts and 10 Romans, guess who's going to win? The Romans and the lions. Why? Because they work together. And that's the body of Christ. Got to be involved. Four, put on this armor by being intentional. Intentional by getting in the word. Intentional by making right decisions. It's important for us to understand that. So how do we finish this this morning? We're going to take communion in just a moment. But this past week, I watched a documentary, as I do about seven times a week. And the documentary told the story of two different people. One was a guy named Joe Kittner, Kit Kittinger. And he was given the duty as a person in the early parts of the space program to put on a pressurized suit and get in a hot air balloon and go 109 feet up into our atmosphere. That's crazy. And then he jumped out of the hot air balloon. Two reasons. One, they wanted to make sure if somebody entered into our atmosphere from space, they jumped out, they'd live. <laughs> who, who volunteers for that? I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to jump out of a... I'm not getting in a balloon going 109,000 feet, but he did. And then the second thing that's important here, here is, is the further up you get in the atmosphere, the less pressure. And your body needs pressure to exist. And what happens is if this pressurized suit is not on you, your blood will not move through your body and you'll just swell up and you can figure out the rest. Are you with me on that? So he's like, that sounds great. Let's see if I can jump out of a hot air balloon at 109,000 feet and make it. And let's make sure this pressurized suit works. 
So I'm either going to blow up or not open up in the parachute, right? He goes up in the atmosphere. The pressurized suit works. He jumps out of the hot air balloon, and he makes it. Cool story, right? At the same time, in 1960, two guys decided, hey, we're going to do something a little crazy, too. We're going to get in this submarine with five-inch thick walls and go to the deepest part of the ocean, which is seven miles. It took them four hours to go down seven miles into the ocean. The problem is, it's not about having no pressure. It's about having too much pressure there. If you're sitting in this room, we're experiencing about 14 pounds per square inch of pressure, and that's perfect for us. But when you get down seven miles into the ocean, you have a thousand atmospheres sitting on your body. You explode. Make sense? You're crushed to death. And they say when you're in a submarine, if you hear a pop, that's good, because if you don't hear the pop, you're dead. Makes sense to me. So these guys go down in a submarine, seven miles down into the ocean, and then come back up. Where one, the pressure was from the outside, the guy 109,000 feet, the pressure was from the inside. Does that sound like the life of a believer? The pressure's from the outside pushing in, and the temptations and the guilt for our past pushing out. You been there? It's vital you wear your armor. That's how you fight back. So my question this morning is this. Do you know Jesus? And are you taking advantage of his tactical capabilities in your life? If you don't know Christ this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to know him. Two ways. One, or three really. One, you can, on the connect card you're given inside your worship folder is a box you can check to say today I need Jesus. Two, you can text in the phrase I need Jesus to the number on the screen. Or three, I'm going to be standing over here to my left in just a moment and you can come to me. I'd be happy to pray with you or express to you the gospel so you know him this morning. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the fact that Christ has won the victory. That he has paid the price. And the Bible does, says to do that in communion. And so to my right and my left, we have the communion table set up. The bread representing Christ's body that was broken for us, and the juice representing Christ's blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of the sins. And the Bible calls us to take that in reflection, to pray through it, to ask God to speak to you. Maybe spend some time repenting, maybe go outside asking for forgiveness. So how we do this here at River Hills is I'm going to pray. I'm not going to say amen. You have time to fill out your connect card or whatever or text in that phrase, but also you have time to really reflect on it and say, God, speak to me or forgive me for this or be with this person or help me forgive someone else. If you need prayer, I'm going to be to my left. But as you feel ready, you come up and you take the elements back to your seat and then we'll do communion together. Sound good? But reflect on this time knowing that God has paid the price. He's taken away Satan's greatest weapon. What is, what's, that is something to celebrate this morning the grace in which we stand father we love you and god as we celebrate you as we celebrate the truth that we find in you christ we pray that this morning that you demonstrate your grace and your glory and that you would speak in a powerful and profound way fill us with your presence and overcome us with your truth strengthen us guide us and direct us and as we reflect back and as we reflect and pray forward, we're asking Jesus for you to work. That you would speak to us now. In Christ's name we pray.
take your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. What a, what a powerful testimony, right guys? When God does something in your life, uh, yeah, you can clap for that, that's good stuff. And when the Lord begins to work through you, he works in you, right? And so I encourage you all to be submissive to where he leads, and uh, whatever that may be. Hopefully, you know, more, most importantly, guys, I want you to know this, is that missions is about going next door. You know what I'm talking about? If you are a Christian, I want to say this to you, you are a missionary. You don't have to wait to be called to Zambia or the Dominican Republic or anywhere else in the world. You're called. The Bible says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Nations mean cultures. Nations mean people, people groups. And there are people groups even in our own community, not necessarily that speak different languages, but people groups who think differently, do different things. And, and we see that. It's very evident. Agreed? And so as you go, I encourage you to take the gospel with you. Now, let's take let's, what we're doing throughout the course of this teaching series, we're in part three, is we're dealing with this idea of how to fight through spiritual warfare. All right? All of us struggle with this. This is something that's real. There's something that we don't want to hide from. We don't want to think too much about either, but we need to acknowledge that it's there and learn how to fight it. We started out a few weeks ago detailing who the enemy is. Who are we fighting? C.S. Lewis had a wonderful quote on this, and basically to summarize it, he says there are two big mistakes that people make as it pertains to Satan and demons. One, ignoring him completely and believing that he's not there, or two, focusing too much attention on them. Make sense? And those are the two extremes. And our efforts through this teaching series is coming to a middle ground so that when we are personally attacked, and you will be, how do you fight back? And so the first two messages, number one, we dealt with identifying the enemy who is Satan. A couple of things we learned here. Y'all ready for this? Remember this. This is important. I'm going to rehash it again next week. Satan does not know the future. He can't read your mind, and he can't be everywhere at one time. He only can be one place at a time. Isn't that good news? Sometimes we buy into this whole reality that if I think it, he's going to hear it, or if I go somewhere, he's going to be here. Listen, listen, hear me on this. When you come and say, man, Satan's really attacking me this morning, hey, the reality is you must be somebody. Because the thing is, he's only one place at a time. He's not God. We have this picture of evil and good God and Satan as a yin and yang idea. And they're fighting each other, and hopefully will God win. It's not that at all. God always wins. There's no yin and yang here. Make sense? Second thing we learned about him was that he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take away your joy. He wants to thwart God's plan and make us miserable. That happens a lot, agreed? He has a strategy. We dealt with that way last week, and we'll get to that in a moment. The other thing we understand about Satan is that he is a dog on a leash. Now, you think about a vicious dog biting and want, barking and wanting to bite you. He's ferocious. But understand this, God's got him on a leash. He can't hurt you unless you let him or he's allowed. Make sense? Fourth thing we learned about him. Understand this. His greatest weapon has been taken away. And that, this is the weapon is to speak into your heart that you are unforgivable. Now, some of us know we've done some bad things. Would y'all agree on that? We've got some, man, if people can look into our closet for the skeletons, they find the entire morgue. Agreed? But here's the deal. Satan can't use unforgiveness against you. Why? Because Jesus took care of that on the cross. Through Jesus' death, he killed Satan in his activity. 
And that, it's interesting. God has always used Satan against Satan. Give you an example here. Judas, it said Satan entered into his heart. He betrayed Jesus. Jesus died. Looks like Satan won, right? Christ died, rose from the dead. Satan loses. He uses Satan against Satan every time. Isn't that cool? Now, we also have to understand this. We dealt with this last week. He has strategies. He's a master strategist and statistician. He understands, and as a student of humanity, he understands the Bible. And we learn comparing Genesis chapter 3, the original temptation, to Jesus being tempted in the desert. The temptations are the same. It's the temptation or the strategy of us acting on our own impulse and physical desire. What we called it was the strategy or, or, or the uh, impulse of appetite. Y'all remember that? If I'm hungry, if I want it, if I need it, if I think I've got to have it, I'll go get it. The second strategy that he uses is recognition and acceptance. Do what's expected of you. We all want people to like us, right? And sometimes we conform not to the image of God, <coughs> but to the image of the world. Y'all been there? Third strategy is glory. Remember what he told Adam and Eve. You will be like God. And that's our desire, is it not? is to feel completely in control in the center of the universe. Now, this morning, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 10 through 20. Our launching point every week has been verse 10 through 12. Let's go to chapter 6 and go to verse 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, let's get this. Remind yourself of this. Your strength does not come from your own conjuring, all right? It comes from Christ his mighty power and he's not saying be strong in your belief be strong in your effort be strong in your church attendance be, he's saying be strong in your relationship with the lord these play into that relationship but it begins and ends always with jesus that's why the bible calls him the alpha and what church omega now keep reading it says put on the full armor of god why so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes so in this, now get to verse 12, and then we'll come back. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Understand what's happening here. The war in Ukraine is not about Russian aggression. It's about sinfulness. You understand that? At its core, that's what it's about. Those is what we come back to in verse 12 against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces. It's not about what you wrestle against and what you see. It's what you don't see that's important for us to understand through this, right? So, getting all this, in these first, two, in these first three verses of Ephesians chapter 6, we see two important things here. One, we see our enemy, and two, we know he has a strategy. That's what we've dealt with for the last two weeks. Now we're going to get to what I like to call the meat and taters of this teaching series, Okay? The meat and taters are this. We're going to learn how to fight back. Y'all with me? That's what we're going to do. In order to fight back, we've got to know who we're fighting, and we've got to know how they're fighting, right? To this morning, we get to fight back. Are y'all excited about that? All right. So let's, let's, let's throw some punches. Y'all with me? So several, several years ago, and y'all know this is an old feed store, right? 
Some of y'all who are new to River Hills that have no idea. And so with the old feast, you are if you're over here in this section, the first time I walked in this feast store, that was the horse feed. So everybody neighed like a horse. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Now, over here, it was like, I'm going to call all these goats. And I have no idea. But there was feed everywhere, stacked to the roof in some places. Now, one thing that happens in a feed store is mice like to come in. There's a couple of barn cats that stayed in this place. And since I'm allergic to cats and cats are of the devil, we got rid of them. And so we renovated this place. Anybody with me on that? So we renovated this place, um, except for my buddy's cat over there who has no hair. All right, so here's the thing. Those aren't really cats. Those are mutants. So then that being said, that being said, we have all these things going on, and we're sitting in the middle of a staff meeting. This is early on in being in this building. And we're, we're in one of the areas in the back of the place. We had a round table. We had interns. We had staff. We're sitting there. And we're going through the rigors of what it means to be at church and how we're to be the church. And we're developing leaders. And we're thinking through strategy. And we're walking through timelines. And we're drinking coffee. It was a great morning. Y'all with me? And all of a sudden, from underneath one of the chairs, the beast appeared. A little mouse. We've had that happen in church before. Several years ago, a lady was sitting on the front row, and she was eight months pregnant, and she screamed. I thought she was in labor or got the spirit, one or the other. It was a mouse. Then she had the baby. And that fact, you know, you get what I'm saying on this. The mouse ran out, and the reaction of the eight people sitting at this table was unbelievable. One who was a grown man in his 20s jumped up on this table and went, ah, it was awesome. We never let him live it down. Other people just froze. You know what I'm talking about? You're paralyzed with fear. There's a mouse. Don't move because if you don't move, it won't see you and eat you. You know what I'm getting at? Other people just ran, they darted out of the room. So you got to, and then, and then my favorite group, so understand the three groups. One, the dude was screaming on top of a chair. Y'all with me on that? Kind of like Daryl. The second one was this. They were, um, they were just paralyzed with fear. The third one ran out of the room. So you see the three groups, and there was a fourth group. They picked up wiffle ball bats and chased the beasts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're talking about bravery, courage, modern day knights, right? All that being said, is that's how we respond to Satan's scheme sometimes. We jump up and scream, we ignore it completely, we run away, or we choose to fight back, right? And which one are you going to be? This morning we're going to talk about fighting. This morning we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of this. I want you to understand in this passage of Scripture, jumping right in, Finally, be strong in the Lord, in verse 2, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice that little phrase there, take your stand. Remember that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if the day of evil comes, it says what? When the day of evil comes, you may, you may be able to what? stand your ground then it says and after you have everything have done everything to stand then it says stand firm then now that's four times he's used the phrase stand do y'all see that so we need to pay attention right how do you stand firm how do you fight back and then he goes into this Verse 14, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. So he gives us the he gives us the formula here, folks. He shows us the armor. Now I want you to keep in mind, skip down to verse 20. Paul is writing this, and he says, For which I'm an ambassador in chains. You got to understand, as he's writing this, he is literally shackled to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Not only that, as someone who's pursued because of his faith, he had intimate knowledge of what Roman soldiers could do and what they looked like. They were the conquerors of the ancient world at that time. But there's two things. Let's go back. Understand, verse 13, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Now, there's two things you need to get. Number one, this is God's armor, not yours. You get that? These are things that you can't just figure out. These are things that you're just not going to go in your spiritual workshop and this is it. God has given you this armor. It's a gift, and it's your choice whether you're going to wear it or not. You with me? God's armor, his gift. So let's identify some of this. Now, remembering that he knows Paul, he knows what a Roman soldier looks like. He's seeing one as he's writing it. Can y'all think through that for a moment? And he goes, oh, man, God inspired him. He gave him this word. He wrote it down. He gives it to the church of Ephesus. It circles around the ancient world. Now, this is not outside of the scope of a good Jew. So if a Jewish person's reading this, he's going to think, oh, Paul, you're talking about putting on the full armor of God. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Isaiah 59, verse 17 comes to mind. And Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he writes these words Isaiah chapter 59. I'm going to try to flip there really fast. There it is. He put on the he says he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation of his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in his cloak. And basically what he's talking about here is Jesus. This is not unfamiliar to these people. This is not just the imagery that Paul has created there in that Roman cell shackled to a soldier. This finds its root in Jewish culture. There's so much in the Old Testament that speak to Jesus. In fact, starting in two weeks, we're going to talk through finding Jesus in the Jewish feast. But for this morning, let's put on the full armor. Are you with me? Now, I was trying to think back, have I ever preached on this passage? I've been taught this passage. I grew up going to Sunday school nine months before I was born, and they did it every year. You get what I'm saying on this? And I'm just really trying to think, have I ever taught? I don't think I have, so I'm really excited, even as I was studying this past week as we deal with it. So let's begin to, we're, gonna, we're just going to detail it. We're just going to pull it out one at a time. You with me? Number one, let's go. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Here's what that is. It's the belt, point one, and truth holds it together. You got to get that. The first thing you put on as you're putting on your armor is the belt. Now, when they use that word truth, they're talking about the gospel. There's a lot of different philosophies and cultures and thoughts, compromises made, things being said. But when Paul is speaking about the belt of truth, he's saying, you put on the gospel first. And you see it as a belt. Now, I want you to remember something here. Is that in that day and age, soldiers were... And everybody else wore robes. And so when you went to battle, if your robe was not tucked in well, you were going to trip and fall. So that belt was important, agreed? And what the belt did is it gave a person freedom to fight. 
And what the truth does for us, it gives us freedom from sin, freedom to experience Christ, freedom to go to heaven, and freedom to fight. Y'all with me? That's what the gospel does. Some of us, we have this tainted view of the gospel. I hear this all the time, is if I can just get my life right, then I'll get to heaven, or then God will love you. No, 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 no. The gospel says, I'm going to free you to fight in all of your mess-ups, in all of your issues, even in your background. The belt of truth holds it together. It even holds your sword in place, holds the breastplate of righteousness, all that stuff. So understand, and this is the question we have to ask, do you have the belt of truth? Do you know Jesus? That's where it begins, guys. When I got married, I didn't know this. Obviously, uh, as you look at my wardrobe every week, you know that I'm a fashion guru, right? How many of you guys out there, if your wife did not dress you, you would wear like a sweatshirt and a t-shirt and shorts every day of the year that way because if you wear the sweatshirt you just take it off or a good pair of jeans any of y'all like that maybe some boots if my wife did not dress me y'all it would be awful you know and what I learned when we first got married uh, is that your ladies y'all help me with this your belt should match your what okay I didn't know that all right so here I am, I'm wearing one of these alligator belts, you know what I'm talking about, with like, you know, kicks. That's it, man. That's what you're supposed to wear. So Sarah Beth taught me, said, look, you got to have your, I'm not going to show you what my belt looks like. There's a reason. And so <laughs> they got to match, especially, especially, especially in formal settings, right? You're wearing a suit, you better match, boy. So a couple of months ago, I did a, I did a funeral, and I got there, and I realized my shoes and my belt don't match. I felt naked. You know, it's just terrible. It's not a good place to be. Y'all with me? I didn't think, I was confused. I, I mean, it's stupid, guys. It's just been ingrained in my brain for the last 22 years. Here's the point. For many, you don't have freedom when you don't have the belt of truth on. And for many people, the belt that you wear that tries to hold everything, that you try to hold everything together with, doesn't match the message that Jesus gave. You hear me on that? I'm going to say that again. The belt that you're wearing does not match the message Jesus gave. So is the gospel the thing you turn to? Is the gospel the thing you believe in? So if you're going to fight back, you've got to have that first. Then he goes on to say this. And, and the question you ask yourself is, does your belt match? But then he goes on to say this. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, this was armor that you wore around your vital organs. You put it on the front and you put it on the back. And you've seen some of these guys, maybe in a movie or so, where it was knit together, like woven together strands of metal or maybe a full bronze suit that they wore. It was your suit of armor and you had to wear that because every now and then, you're going to miss and your enemy's going to hit, but it's going to miss a vital organ. You with me on that? And so when they use that term righteousness, notice what happens here. Go back to the text in verse 14. It says the breastplate of righteousness. There's two things you look at here. The first one is your righteousness that you have in the Lord. Here's what's beautiful about the gospel is that when you come to know Christ, Jesus sees you as righteous. Isn't that good? He doesn't look at you and see you for your past sins and your current sins. Romans 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that, don't you? 
So matter what you've done wrong, where you've been, Christ sees you as righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, notice what that says there. Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you stand. If you know Jesus, that's your permanent location. That's the GPS marker of your soul forever, is righteous. But there's another aspect of that that's called righteous living. You with me on this? It's doing the right thing. That doesn't save you. You do the right thing because you know Christ. You, get me? you see the difference there? So many times we get the cart before the horse. And what we mean by that is I do right things to get God to love me. No, no, you do right things because God loves you. You get that? And the thing is, when we put on this suit of armor, understand this, that righteousness that he talks about is right living. It's the effort to do the right thing. Because what happens here when we have a loose spot in our armor? Well, where is the enemy going to aim at? That, right? The Bible says, don't give the enemy a foothold. And the thing is, with our choices and our behavior, we give him that foothold at times, right? So here's the question. We go from the gospel of truth that holds it all together, and then we move to righteous living that the Christian is called to live out. Because when you're making poor choices and making bad decisions, the armor develops kinks in it, doesn't it? So here's the question. Where are the kinks in your armor? I mean, we all got them, right? Y'all got them. Do I have them? Yes. <laughs> Where are the kinks? We've got to work on them and mend them back together. And knowing even, even, even when they're, they're kinked up, Christ still has that first righteousness. You're his. Second thing, notice what happens. Third thing, I'm sorry. Notice what happens. He says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, when these Roman soldiers went into battle, they would wear sandals strapped up all the way to their shins. And on the bottom of these sandals, they would have put hobnails facing downward, kind of like modern-day cleats. Does that make sense? Because they didn't have tread on their shoes like we have today. When they go, went into battle, they were many times wearing slick shoes. That's why a lot of them went barefooted. But they would put these hobnails in the bottom of their shoes, not only to fight back, but most importantly, to stand firm. You with me? They didn't want to slip and fall. So the shoes, go back to what it says here. With the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we just read it. The peace that we have from knowing God through Lord Jesus Christ means we have a firm foundation. And what we have to be mindful of, and this is the question that we ask ourselves, and this is, this is important, is that are you grounded in the gospel? You, you follow me on this, right? Where is your foundation? No, we, we put on the belt of truth. Yeah, we believe it. It holds everything together. That's our life. But this peace of knowing that you are a child of God, is it keeping you grounded you feel me on this? Is that where you're standing? So many times believers slip because they're just grounded on the wrong things. Y'all been there? Next thing. 
Notice what happens. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We talked a little bit about this week, or a little bit about this last week. But the shields were made with two pieces of what we would call plywood, nailed together, and then knitted together with iron, and then covered with leather. You feel me on that? You understand what I'm getting at here? And then they would soak them in water so that this shield that was about this tall, they could completely hide behind. And when the flaming arrows came at them, it would hit the shield and not go through and at the same time quench the arrows. Sound pretty cool, right? And the shield that they're talking about here, go back to what it says. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. He's saying this, you stand behind his promises. You stand behind his promises. And so many times... The reason the arrows get to us is because we're not standing behind promises. We're standing behind cultural values. You with me? You been there? It's important to understand this, guys. Wonder why we're attacked. It's because we got the wrong shield. So here's the question. Are we standing behind him or something else? Are we standing behind him or are we standing behind something else? Five. Notice what happens here. Take the helmet of salvation and understand what that means here. These helmets were made of iron or bronze. They would cover the head, and the only thing that could get through and penetrate the helmet was an axe. But here's what's interesting these helmets were decorated so that you knew who was on your team. Let me give you an, give, let me give you an example. Yesterday, I'm watching uh, University of Alabama play the University of Arkansas. They have the same colors. I didn't know if they were home or away. And it wasn't until they went on a close-up to see what the helmets looked like because they had two distinct helmets on that I knew who was who. Y'all been there before? Not only did it protect their head, it identified who they were. And here's what the thing is about this helmet. The helmet is the hope and certainty of salvation. Is it no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you do wrong after you become a Christian, the hope and the certainty of salvation is that you haven't been identified by Christ as a child. And he is holding you and protecting you in that. You can't lose it. Isn't that good? Do you have that hope on? And here's the question you ask yourself is where is my security in this? And so many times we put our security in a platform or a figure or what we do or what we think or grandma's wisdom. It has to be in Jesus. Six. Notice what happens here. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword, the sword that you've been given, the thing that you fight back. You have this armor, you have this helmet, protects you, your certainty of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart, the belt of truth which holds all together, the shoes that give you a firm foundation, but you got a sword to swing. And these swords here in this, in this text, it means a double-edged short sword. And one side of it was to fight Satan, and the other side of it was to express the gospel. So here's what you need to understand here. This sword was for a temptation that we face in the evangelism that we give. It's a double-edged sword, guys. One to fight off the attacks of the enemy with the Bible, and one to set people free with the gospel. Isn't that cool? So here's my question. How sharp is your sword it only gets sharp when you're in the word so we talk about all these things the helmet, the breastplate of righteousness the shoes, all this stuff here's my problem 
and it's probably yours too. How do you put it on? Y'all with me on that? How do you put it on? I remember when I was in middle school, I decided to go out for the football team. We walked into the equipment room, and the coach said, get your equipment. I had no idea how to put all that stuff on. And for many people who are believers, they have no idea how to put on the armor of God. Y'all with me on that? I'm giving you a lot of information. Now, what do you, how do you put it on? Interesting. We never, we never read past this passage in the verse, 19 through, or verse uh, 18 through 20. And notice what happens here. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, and whenever I speak, words may be given to me, given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He gives us four ways to put it on. Y'all ready for this? Here's your application. First way is this. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. Go back to verse 18. Notice what he says here, and pray in the Spirit. That means to pray in saying, I'm going to be submissive to what God wants me to do and listen to what he says. Y'all with me? How submissive are you in prayer? Are you praying, God, make this happen, or so God do your will? That's a big difference, is it not? Two, be alert. Notice what's going on. Notice what's going on. Listen, if you've got a broken leg, you're going to be more apt to look for the potholes, right? Agreed? Be alert. What are the things coming your way? And then it goes on to say, be involved. He's saying, hey, pray for missions. Pray for me as I express the gospel. Be the body of Christ. Listen to me. You can't fight well if you're on your own. The reason the Romans were such good soldiers is because they worked together. When they invaded England, they fought the Celtics. The Celtics, one by one, were better soldiers. If you put a Roman soldier and a Celt warrior together, the Celt would always win. Same thing with a lion and a tiger. You put a lion and a tiger together, the tiger's going to always win. But you put 10 lions and 10 tigers or 10 Celts and 10 Romans, guess who's going to win? The Romans and the lions. Why? Because they work together. And that's the body of Christ. Got to be involved. Four, put on this armor by being intentional. Intentional by getting in the word. Intentional by making right decisions. It's important for us to understand that. So how do we finish this this morning? We're going to take communion in just a moment. But this past week, I watched a documentary, as I do about seven times a week. And the documentary told the story of two different people. One was a guy named Joe Kittner, Kit Kittinger. And he was given the duty as a person in the early parts of the space program to put on a pressurized suit and get in a hot air balloon and go 109 feet up into our atmosphere. That's crazy. And then he jumped out of the hot air balloon. Two reasons. One, they wanted to make sure if somebody entered into our atmosphere from space, they jumped out, they'd live. <laughs> who, who volunteers for that? I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to jump out of a... I'm not getting in a balloon going 109,000 feet, but he did. And then the second thing that's important here, here is, is the further up you get in the atmosphere, the less pressure. And your body needs pressure to exist. And what happens is if this pressurized suit is not on you, your blood will not move through your body and you'll just swell up and you can figure out the rest. Are you with me on that? So he's like, that sounds great. Let's see if I can jump out of a hot air balloon at 109,000 feet and make it. And let's make sure this pressurized suit works. 
So I'm either going to blow up or not open up in the parachute, right? He goes up in the atmosphere. The pressurized suit works. He jumps out of the hot air balloon, and he makes it. Cool story, right? At the same time, in 1960, two guys decided, hey, we're going to do something a little crazy, too. We're going to get in this submarine with five-inch thick walls and go to the deepest part of the ocean, which is seven miles. It took them four hours to go down seven miles into the ocean. The problem is, it's not about having no pressure. It's about having too much pressure there. If you're sitting in this room, we're experiencing about 14 pounds per square inch of pressure, and that's perfect for us. But when you get down seven miles into the ocean, you have a thousand atmospheres sitting on your body. You explode. Make sense? You're crushed to death. And they say when you're in a submarine, if you hear a pop, that's good, because if you don't hear the pop, you're dead. Makes sense to me. So these guys go down in a submarine, seven miles down into the ocean, and then come back up. Where one, the pressure was from the outside. The guy 109,000 feet, the pressure was from the inside. Does that sound like the life of a believer? The pressure's from the outside pushing in, and the temptations and the guilt for our past pushing out. You been there? It's vital you wear your armor. That's how you fight back. So my question this morning is this. Do you know Jesus? And are you taking advantage of his tactical capabilities in your life? If you don't know Christ this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to know him. Two ways. One, or three really. One, you can, on the connect card you're given inside your worship folder is a box you can check to say today I need Jesus. Two, you can text in the phrase I need Jesus to the number on the screen. Or three, I'm going to be standing over here to my left in just a moment and you can come to me. I'd be happy to pray with you or express to you the gospel so you know him this morning. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the fact that Christ has won the victory, that he has paid the price. And the Bible says to do that in communion. And so to my right and my left, we have the communion table set up. The bread representing Christ's body that was broken for us and the juice representing Christ's blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of the sins. And the Bible calls us to take that in reflection, to pray through it, to ask God to speak to you. Maybe spend some time repenting. Maybe go outside asking for forgiveness. So how we do this here at River Hills is I'm going to pray. I'm not going to say amen. You have time to fill out your Connect card or whatever or text in that phrase. But also, you have time to really reflect on it and say, God, speak to me or forgive me for this or be with this person or help me forgive someone else. If you need prayer, I'm going to be to my left. But as you feel ready, you come up. And you take the elements back to your seat, and then we'll do communion together. Sound good? But reflect on this time, knowing that God has paid the price. He's taken away Satan's greatest weapon. What is, what's, that is something to celebrate this morning, the grace in which we stand. Father, we love you. And God, as we celebrate you, as we celebrate the truth that we find in you, Christ, we pray that this morning that you demonstrate your grace and your glory and that you would speak in a powerful and profound way. Fill us with your presence and overcome us with your truth. Strengthen us, guide us, and direct us. And as we reflect back and as we reflect and pray forward, we're asking Jesus for you to work, that you would speak to us now. In Christ's name we pray.